This is Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast, episode 41. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan, and today's guest is Millie Grineau. Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. Each week, join Cindy McMillan as she interviews coaches, spiritual explorers, and celebrants from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. Millie is known for her ability to inspire people to do what they thought was impossible. She has taught non-singers to sing, non-swimmers to swim, Taipei folks to work smarter, and frazzled folks to find calm. Millie walks her talk, an ex-shy Kentuckian turned international trainer, ex-nun turned nightclub singer. She loves to help people shine their unique light and share it with the world. A wife, stepmom, grandmom, professional coach, and clinical instructor in psychiatry at the Yale University School of Medicine, Millie created Oasis in the Overwhelm after a near-death accident forced her to face the frantic pace of her own life. Welcome to the podcast, Millie. I'm so excited to have you here. Hey, Cindy. I'm so happy to be here with you right now. I love (laughs) your intro when you talk about the beginnings and chapters in our life and all the messy in-betweens. That is so true, Cindy. (laughs) It absolutely is. Well, Millie, I love starting off the podcast with my favorite question, and that is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Well, it's so interesting thinking about seasons in general. And since I live up in the Northeast in Connecticut, we experience really big changes in seasons. And when I was a kid, or even when I was 30, and I somehow thought when I was 30, I was near the end of my life. I hit a really glad black period and I thought it was all over and I'd get it back again. But here I am many decades later and geez, I don't even know what the next season's going to be. (laughs) And I think in this time of change that is so apparent in our nation, in our world right now, many of us are beginning to be more comfortable with change because we can't stop it, you know? So strangely enough, these crises are inviting us to be more open to seeing, okay, what's here now? And who am I right now? And what's in front of me? What can I do right now? So does that respond to your question both professionally and personally? It absolutely does. And and one of the things that, you know, a lot of people, when I ask them that question, what does it mean? Change and change in not only the, you know, seasons of 
fall, winter, summer, but it's also the change that we we all go through. And I'm almost going to say at a spiritual level, and I don't know if I'm saying that because I read that you were an ex-nun, but it is, you know, when we have those changes, it is sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes there are spiritual changes as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And even what we may have thought before was spiritual, that notion changes. What is spiritual, you know? That, that's absolutely right. And I want to talk about your journey from becoming an ex-nun and turning into a nightclub singer. So one, how did that happen? What was your thought process on that? And what kind of music did you sing? <laughs> well, it wasn't an overnight change by any means. And each of the decisions along the way kind of leads into something that brings us to the next place. So when I was growing up in a very Catholic family, I think the question in our family was always, what's the best thing I can be? What's the best? And at that time in my life, the number one choice was to be a Catholic nun. And so I remember standing in my backyard, and it was also the same time that the Peace Corps was beginning. And I can remember asking, I had applied for Peace Corps, and I thought, okay, what's going to be? Two years for John F. Kennedy and the USA, or my whole life for God and the whole world? So being an idealist, guess which one I chose? (laughs) I chose to be a nun. And thankfully, the group that I joined was the Mary Knoll Sisters, and their whole mission is to go to other countries and learn from them and with them, not convert them, but work with them together. And it brought me to Bolivia and Peru for three years. And that's what helped my music come alive again and helped my whole emotions come alive, this contact with people. And it led me to realize uh, that my life path was not to stay as a Catholic nun, but to leave and go into what felt more like the real world for me. So, ironically, that led me to, um, I wanted to go to a place where I didn't know anybody and could start fresh. So I ended up in New Haven, Connecticut, when I found out that 15% of the people were Spanish-speaking, right? I wanted to keep that up. And when I left the convent, I somehow, in the month before I left, had found a bass fiddle at the mother house and began playing with the bass fiddle. I had learned guitar and it got better. So then gradually I knew I had to do more music. I was still floundering around. That was the period that I thought I was at a dead end because I didn't know who, where, what. But then about 
Four years later, five years maybe, after I had lived in Spain and gotten more comfortable being out with my voice and my music, came back to Connecticut and one New Year's weekend when I was miserable again, I thought, get out the guitar and practice and learn your songs and learn all your Spanish songs again. And the next week, I got the nerve to audition at a Mexican restaurant. Okay. <laughs> so I began playing every night at a place called Sloppy Jose. You get that name? Not Sloppy Joe, but Sloppy Jose. Every Friday night, doing ay, 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 canta, no. And that began more, and I was doing it then a couple of nights a week. And sometimes in Spanish, sometimes in English, at all the Mexican restaurants in New Haven, 20-mile radius, and at the New Haven Motor Inn. So it would be a mixture of, you light up my life, you know. Well, you know, I was just going to say, what I like about what you're saying is it wasn't an overnight success. You, It was... And I, but what I mean by that is you took, it was five years of learning and practicing and doing where sometimes nowadays we can think everything needs to be overnight when we're not stopping to see all the hard work that goes behind becoming that overnight success. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all that. I can remember I would practice with my little tape recorder. And one time I was listening in my apartment and I heard this voice from the other room and I thought, oh, she's good. And then I realized it was me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so just this gradually and in between all those times, Sure, there are dark nights and doubts and wondering, what the heck? But even following that little thread that you said, it's inside of us, and paying attention to that, who am I? Who am I? There is nobody else like me in this world. And even sometimes I, when I'm coaching, I can meet people, women especially, who might be very religious and say, oh, I can't think that much about me. That's selfish. You know, that's selfish. And I got to, wow, if God created me, if God created you, Cindy, my prayer primary obligation is to be the best Millie I can be <laughs> and let my light shine, even if it's a little bit wacky. You know? <laughs> That's who I am. Yeah. Yeah, that just is really resonating with me, Millie. Um, just being the best that we can be. Absolutely. So, how long were how long were you in the um, at the Mexican restaurants, and what, how did you end up at the nightclubs? Or was that is that part of the nightclubs? Well, that's part of the nightclubs. Okay. Like it led to Notre, New Haven Motor Inn, 
where I was singing. And I can remember one night I was there, and even on nights when I didn't know if anybody was listening, the bartender listened, you know? And one night after I was done, one of the guys who always hung out at the bar came up to me and said, Millie, are you okay? And I said, yeah, why do you ask? He said, because every Friday night, you always end with amazing grace, and you didn't sing that tonight. And I thought, wow, this guy is here. And I'm almost crying thinking about it. You know, we never know who's around us and what's going on with them. How did that touch him? Even now I'm wondering, who is he? Where is he? How is he? <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, had he, had he touched on something, Millie, that you didn't end in Amazing Grace? I mean, were, were you going through something at that time? Or was that just, just something that he noticed about your, your songs? But he noticed it, you know? It's it's really interesting what what people do do notice about us that sometimes we don't even see see about ourselves. It's truer than ever. <laughs> you know, the people around us really notice. Yeah. So I I'm really curious about this, and and you don't have to go into this deep. Just whatever you feel comfortable. With, but I am really curious, what was it like to leave being a nun? And then I'm going to say out into the real world. And, and by that, I don't mean it the way that sounds. I'm talking about you're leaving a convent, going out to the world. Yeah. I, and that feels like the very much the way that I felt it then. I felt that when I was a nun, I was somehow sitting on the side bank of the river and was not really in the river with the rest of the human beings. And that may have been my own perception. I can remember when people asked me, why did you leave? Again, it wasn't instant. It was a growing. And I got it down to three things. One, I was miserably unhappy, even though I was doing what felt like wonderful work, working in community development with people that I really loved and wanted to be with, I no longer believed in what the church was saying, and I didn't want to represent it, especially in the poor country of Bolivia and Peru and what the Catholic Church was like there and what it was saying to women. So that was the second reason. And third, I recognize I did not want to be celibate all my life. So that led me out. But then leaving was uh, scary, just not knowing. I can remember the first Sunday I was out and didn't go to church thinking, will I go to hell? (laughs) I had no Uh, clothes. I wasn't near family. I didn't know people. I was given $200 when I left. And I used that 
to buy clothes at the thrift shop, uh, you know, for a dollar. I found a secondhand bike. I moved into an apartment with two other young women, $75, began looking for a job. But it was like, whoa. But I knew I had to find out, again, the question, who am I and what am I here for, you know? And I used to think that was unique, that I was unique. But as I go through life, it's so not unique. I mean, how many of us have entered a marriage or a career or a life path that we entered into with our whole heart and soul and found out, oh, I don't think this is my life path, you know? So I even wrote one song. I'll just leave, send you a verse or two. What do you do? About the years you've lost, what do you do? About the bridges not crossed, what do you do? When you are entering your teens at 30, I don't know if you got the words or not, but it goes I on. I did. Can you say, about the bridges not crossed, what can they know? About the years you've lost, what can you say? When your birth date and age don't agree, and I'll just sing one more part. Well, I get myself in a situation. The man says, you can't be that dumb. I want to holler out my explanation. Buddy, you don't know where I'm coming from. Anyway, it was a lot of learning. <laughs> a lot. I was just going to say, I love the the words. Those, I mean, those those make a lot of sense. Wherever you're going from, whether it's leaving from being a nun or leaving from a long term marriage or a job that you thought you were going to be in forever, we're not unique. All of us human beings go through seasons, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what was your wake-up call to create Oasis in the Overwhelm? Good question. I am known to be fairly hard-headed and fairly hard-driving. So I thought I had everything pretty well in balance. This was years after the convent. I had lived in Spain. I had gone through three different jobs. I had just married for the first time and inherited three teenage stepsons. I was beginning a new work, writing a new book. I thought I had everything in balance. Uh-uh. <laughs> I didn't. My buddy Joe asked me to go for a bike ride with him one summer day in July, and we took off, and long story short, I uh, still don't know what happened. I think I hit a pothole in the road, was thrown over the handlebars, knocked unconscious, and it was before cell phones, and Joe didn't know what to do. Stay with me, look for help, 
finally a car came on this country road and they somehow got me to the green in the little town. Joe tells me later he wasn't sure I'd make it because I didn't move. I was flown 42 miles in a Lifestar helicopter to the Yale New Haven Hospital ER. It was that experience uh, which, since I am so hard-headed, I had a couple of concussions, ruptured kidney. It woke me up to the crazy pace of my life. I couldn't work for three months. My experience in the hospital, which I talk about in my Oasis in the Overwhelm book, helped me realize how out of touch I was with my work and myself. So it was in my hammock, in my backyard hammock, I really got a chance to ask those big questions that I hadn't asked in a long time. Who am I and what am I here for? I somehow knew that I would survive. And I knew I didn't want to go back to the crazy pace that I had been living before that. That was my wake-up call. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty dramatic wake-up call. And yes, when I was in the hammock, that's when I kind of had a chance to get to the wisdom of what I call my little oasis strategies. And I knew they had to be quick and practical or else I wouldn't do them and neither would anybody else. So that's how Oasis in the Overwhelm began. <laughs> what was the most surprising thing you learned about stress during that time? Well, you know, it's interesting. I got it that stress is actually a normal and natural part of our life. And if anybody tells you the idea is to get rid of stress, Hans Selye, who's the grandfather of stress physiology, says the only time we're not with stress is when we're dead, you know? So it was like, okay, how can I use the normal and natural stresses in my life as energy to do things that are practical. At the same time, how can I be clear enough to know when something is toxic stress and it's draining my energy and messing me up and messing everybody around me up and our world. So it was like, Learning to dance with cellulose stress, the spice of life. I love that. Yeah, I do too. You know, my partner, he will say to me sometimes, you know, Cindy, you've got a full-time job. You have your podcast. You're wanting to, you know, volunteer. You're wanting to get into this activity and that activity. He's like, you have got to slow down. Oh, also I was in school at the time and I 
I was feeling burnout big times because I had all these huge goals that I I wanted to create and I still want to, you know, create, but I am, as I've gotten a little older, I have really tried to pull back and pay attention to that energy. That's for sure. So important for us because like you, I am so many things I want to do and sorting them out. What's the best thing right now? And that self-care has to be primary or else, like you said, we'll burn out or we'll get resentful or edgy and aggressive with the people around us. Doesn't help anybody. No, I was just going to totally agree with you. I think for myself, when I was in that with so many things and so many things that meant a lot to me going on. And I still, I still have a lot of things going on, but I've kind of, you know, put a few things on the, the back burner. I did find myself being snappy and that's not fair to the people you love that are there to support you. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So can you give us a couple of tips to help reduce stress? Well, you know, if we could take 10 seconds right now, we could even do one of the stress management, the OASIS strategies. And if somebody is listening in on the podcast right now, I like to do this with a stone, but you can have, and I don't even have a stone near me right now. So you know what I'm going to do is hold my cup of tea, which is right in front of me. And this one I call, it's really practical mindfulness. And the idea about it is on this one, we don't go away to a peaceful place. We're really trying to take a pause to develop our emotional muscles to be right here, right now, with whatever's going on. So people listening in, if we take 10 breaths, it might be too long. So let's just take five easy breaths. Do you have something you can look at right now, Cindy? Something to hold in your hand? Yes, I just picked up a little a little tree with um, stones on it. Wonderful. So, oh, look, I can see it. And I've got my cup of Earl Grey tea right here. And all we're going to do is with our eyes open, exhale, nice full exhale. And nature knows if we exhale, it doesn't like a vacuum. So fresh air will come in. Let that fresh air. And exhale, number two, eyes open. Just look at your tree. Inhale, fresh. Exhale, three. Just let out stinky stuff, things you don't have to do now. Inhale, exhale, four. Look at your tree. Inhale, and one more. Exhale, just let it sail out any stress. And inhale, fresh breath. And just take a couple of seconds right now to even 
look around you. If you're listening on this, look around you. What do you notice about you, about what you were looking at, and about life right now? What do you notice, Cindy? Looking out my window, I have the most beautiful oak tree, and I love it. Oh. <laughs> and how much did it cost you to take these 30 seconds to do that? Nothing. So that's one of the simple oasis strategies that are so powerful and yet so simple that we can do them almost any time and anywhere. Yeah. You know, Millie, that was, it was simple. It didn't cost anything. You know, I look outside at my beautiful tree and I think a lot of times, me included, people may want to try to make these things so much more difficult than it needs to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in my hammock healing, I knew I didn't have money to go on a long retreat. I didn't have time. I didn't, ha I didn't even want to listen or watch anything. I was just in the hammock. And like right now, you looked out the window. I saw in my hammock the rhododendron bush next to me, and I just watched it grow for weeks, you know? <laughs> That's what it was. Why do you think it's so hard for people to pause and just stop the busyness? I think it's a radical act in the culture of the current world in USA. It's so fast-paced. Everything is bump, bump, bump. Even when I go to get my car oil change, you can't just go in there and be quiet. There's a TV blaring. There's da 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 da, da. The doctor's office, waiting office. There's TV. It's like to take 60 seconds to just be here, quote, not doing anything, supposedly. <laughs> it's a radical act. And to do it takes practice. It's not one of our usual habits. I'm delighted that so many more people are beginning to meditate, which can be as simple as taking 30 seconds to just be and notice. And when we begin doing that, we recognize, oh, wow, that's pretty precious. I might want to do it more often. <laughs> so we can build it into our routine then. You know, one of the things that popped into my mind as, as you were talking just then was even our children. They're in so many different, well, maybe not right now with the pandemic, but before they were in so many different clubs at schools. They were, you know, running from one activity to another that it's almost, we need to, we need to bring this calmness to our children as well. You're absolutely on target. I tell you, one of the things I still want to do, it's not on the top burner right now, is to get people from my generation 
and to put together a compilation of games we used to play when we were kids. I can remember spending hours on our front step porch playing rock teacher, but it's these simple things that we played in the neighborhood, hopscotch, kick the can, sitting, we used to sit on the front porch and just even at nighttime, play a game. Can you tell what kind of car is coming down the street by listening to the sound of the motor? <laughs> so it's very different from my grandkids now who are going to soccer, taekwondo, the theater, the da, 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 and barely time to just relax, you know? So I think we as the adults, the parents, the grandparents, if we can begin to take those pauses for ourselves and feel the effects, we won't even have to make them do it. They might begin to say, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, do kids even play and chase fireflies anymore? <laughs> wow, wow, that's true. Did, did you used to make engagement rings out of fireflies? That was an engagement ring if we caught a firefly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Millie, when do you feel the most connection or love? Right now, when we're connecting, this feels real to me. Right this instant. Uh, this week when I was watching the horrendous events on TV, but was able to breathe and see, okay, this is where we are. What will emerge from this? Where am I? Just, again, taking that time to be, see as clearly as we can. I think when we're finished with this podcast, Cindy, I'm going to go walk outside and look at the rhododendron tree to see how is it doing these many years later. You know, this afternoon I'll be on a, a Zoom call with my siblings. Thankfully, six of us are still alive. One in Florida, two in Kentucky, one in Wisconsin, one in New York. And we're connecting now in ways that we haven't connected in years. Every Saturday, oh, new stories coming out. It's really interesting that we're making this happen in these times. Yeah. Our grandkids in Pittsburgh just got a brand new cat, and we got to meet the cat via Zoom last week. And it's like, oh, yay. And even... With my Oasis community, because we're scattered out in the Netherlands, throughout the USA, Argentina, we've been Zooming at least once a month just to connect with each other and support each other with everything everybody's going through. It's so important to reach out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, just talking about the support in your community and support is just so many different things. Sometimes it's just 
be in having someone to hear what you're cooking for dinner, you know, or (laughs) (laughs) what have you read or listened to recently that's inspired you? Immersed in trying to understand the reality of the U.S. and the world right now that I have begun rereading a lot of things that I might have read in the 60s that have to do with racism, with the uh, Franz Fanon, the wretched of the earth, uh, Malcolm X, rereading him so that I can get a deeper understanding. And the newer books that are out that are helping me understand White Fragility, another book written by Isabel Wilkerson called Cast, C-A-S-T-E, about how so many things that I'm aware of but not aware of, and that's influencing how I walk down the street now, how I look at people. I live in a very mixed neighborhood, which I'm grateful for. And it's like, how can I help the healing that we all need, me included? So those are inspiring me now. I'm reading them. And I, my husband just bought Obama's new book, <laughs> very long book. I'm just trying to be open to learning. Um, and that's reminding me of, I love your descriptions of seasons of life. There is one word that I might change. Are you ready for it, Cindy? Yes. The word mindset. I prefer to think of it as mind open. Mind open. I love that. Do you mind if I use that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because as you just said that, I just had that, you know, little flutter in my heart. It is about the way we look at the world and open our minds, different ideas. Yes. Yes. I'm also, I had the books that you were just mentioning. I haven't read those, but I did just get the, I believe it's called the new Jim Crow Yes, yes, and, yes. Um, my partner yeah. did get me um, Obama's book as well for Christmas. So I've I've got two good ones to start reading. Good. The new Jim Crow, I checked out of the library and renewed it three times, but still didn't finish it. So I have to check it out again. <laughs> yeah. So now this is this is a question that I just I just love is if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell her about the season of life that you're in now? Wow. You know, um, I think my my 18-year-old self then was so naive, so innocent, What would I say to her? I think I'd say, just keep being who you are uh, and trust that it will lead you somewhere. Because when I 
left the convent at age 30, I thought I had wasted the best years of my life. However, in retrospect, they were very rich years of my life. I couldn't have known it then. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm being more realistic now with my oldest grandchild, who is now 14. And believe it or not, at age 14, this grandchild has declared she is no longer female, she is non-binary. And two years ago, I didn't even know what that word meant, non-binary. <laughs> and when I'm talking with her now, and we, we talk via Zoom, FaceTime, maybe every other week, I can recognize she is, they are really being who they want to be right now. Who knows what they will be when they're 20, 30, 40? I don't know. They don't know. But right now, it's like, remember that old song of don't fence me in? It's like, don't fence me into any way of being. Let's see. Who am I? Does that answer your question? Yes. And, and Millie, it's okay for us to change who we are. We don't have to be the same person our whole life. No, no. Think how boring that would be. Ex exactly. <laughs> it, it, snakes even shed their skins every once in a while, you know? Yes. Yeah. I have loved this conversation. I mean, it's, it's, I feel like it's just been so rich and so deep. And I've loved it. And can you tell all the listeners how they can um, find you, your website and social media? Sure. Uh, basically, my home site website is milligrino.com. And you'll probably spell that out somewhere. It's M-I-L-L-I-E-G-R-E-N-O-U-G-H.com. And that's my Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm not really active on social media. Um, so if you want me, email me or call me. That's better. And the other website is the oasisintheoverwhelm.com. And I'm so excited that from my crazy near-death accident, there's this very vibrant Oasis community and that's how I met you, Cindy, through one of my Oasis trainers, Deborah Healy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they are now, uh, you can see on the website, this great variety of men and women just bring sanity and clarity to ourselves and each other in the world as best we can. So milligrenaud.com and oasisintheoverwhelm.com. And I will definitely have those in the show notes. Millie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. It was a kick, Cindy. <laughs> thank you. Love doing it with you and carry on. And good luck balancing your delightful, challenging life, too. Remember to give yourself breaks every once in a while, okay?
All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please let me know. You can share a screenshot of this episode on Instagram and tag me at cindy.macmillan and tell me what your biggest takeaway was. Until next time, live inspired.